part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this morning we are going to open up God's Word to a, a very traditional Christmas passage in Exodus chapter 14. Now, if you know anything about Exodus chapter 14, you're going... I don't think that's the Christmas story, but I promise you this morning it has a lot to do with the reality of the Christmas story in our own personal lives. And so as you're opening up Exodus chapter 14, we're going to try to tie in the last couple of weeks together. Uh, if you've been here the last couple of weeks or even a part of that, you know that we've been going through the different Gospels and looking at the Christmas story in Matthew. Uh, Mark does not have one, but we looked in Luke, that traditional one, and then John, perhaps my favorite, uh, last week. But, you know, what is your Christmas story? How does this all come together? And we have those different perspectives. And, Eric, they're going to think that, uh, that I paid you to say what you said because, uh, really, the, the sermon this morning kind of goes right along with what you were saying about, you know, how God just has, he's going to be working things for good. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> the thing, though, is that even though he's working things for good, he's not always working things for easy. Uh, remember the campaign that Staples did a couple years back? You know, I, I don't know if they still have it going on or not. You know, you just hit the easy button. And spiritually, do you know that that's really where we would live? We just we really do think that God has come into our life, that he has sent Christ, not so much as for sinners to be saved and, and have this great relationship with the Holy God, but really, if you want to be honest, a lot of us really think that Christianity is just so that our life can be a little bit easier. That God is this big, ultimate, cosmic, easy button and then we come to him, and we go, okay, God, this is all the problems in my lives, and can I just hit you, you know, this button, and somehow you kind of transform all the difficulties, all this chaos that Eric was talking about, and then somehow it just becomes pleasant. Well, folks, that has not been my Christian experience. Is God <laughs> so wonderful beyond anything? Yes. Has he helped me in, in my greatest need, and that it was my sin? Yes. But it hasn't always been easy, and I think that's one of the things that we really see by the Christmas story. If we take Matthew and Luke and John together, if we really compile them together and see, okay, what is the heartbeat of this Christmas story when we look at all the gospel writers, and get, it's that God did not make things easy. He made things right. And there's a big difference between your life being made easy and your life being made right. This morning we want to talk about, I want to kind of plant a seed in your mind. I I would believe that that many of you that have trusted Christ and the work of Christ in your life, that you are pretty secure in in, in where you're going to go after we leave this world. As we've talked about, you know, how we can sing for a thousand years the blessings of God. And I would imagine that, that most of you this morning, if not every one of you this morning, would say, okay, because I have trusted Christ, not my own performance, not my own works, but I've trusted Christ and his finished work, I know without a doubt that my destination when I leave this world is heaven. And I would imagine that most of you would very much agree with that and say, okay, I have that assurity. Here's the frustration. Why is it that we can so readily agree and have peace about the destination, but not so much joy in the journey? Not so much easy journey, but having joy in the journey. And that's what we begin to see this morning because, you know, when you think about it, when Christ came, clothed himself, uh, when God clothed himself in flesh, uh, in one way, would it not have been easier that Christ wasn't a little baby, but that he was a mighty warrior, that he really comes in this Zeus-like, 
you know, form, and he comes down and he has lightning bolts in his hands. I mean, that would have been impressive. The Jewish people would very much would have liked that because they wanted this mighty God to physically represent himself in front of them. We would have very much seen the power, the glory, and all those things. If God would have clothed himself in power and lightning bolts and might and strength, then, the, you know, this little baby that comes so vulnerable. But God never picked the easy way. He brings, the, the, he brings to us the joyous way, the right way, but, but not always the, the easiest way. And so as we go back and we look in Exodus, I, w- I want to tie the exodus of God's people going to the promised land to the joy uh, in our own journey. And three things this morning that, that, I find, that I believe that we can find in this Old Testament example. Because remember what we said about the Old Testament? It's just a forerunner to Christ. Everything points to Christ. So whether we are looking in the Old Testament and it's, you know, there's not the mention of Jesus or a baby or Christ, that word's not there. It is all pointing toward what God is going to fulfill in Christ Jesus. The whole Bible centers on Christ and his redemptive work for us. And so even in this familiar story to many where the Israelites are being rescued after hundreds of years of bondage by the hands of the Egyptians, we see that uh, there's a, a picture of the gospel Right there, and we learn three things that I believe that can help us as we approach this next year. Now, one thing that we see there is uh, it, just let me give you a little bit of history in case you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, Israelites were God's people, not because they chose God, but because God chose them. Uh, Abraham was just minding his business, and God says, "Okay, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a father of many, many, many nations. Uh, you do this, and 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 out of the righteousness." Uh, of, of obedience there. He, he becomes very much the, the father of the Israelites and the father of this covenant. And uh, so it's not that Abraham is picking God. God is picking Abraham. And for a long time, there's a blessing among the people of Israel, the Israelites, God's chosen people. But in their rebellion, in their sin, there are times that they just got you know, away from God And God brings correction to them. And some of that correction was putting them in places of captivity under the most unthinkable of people. Sometimes it was the Assyrians. Other times it was the Babylonians. In this case, it was the Egyptians. Now, don't think that the Egyptians are this high and mighty religious people. They were not. They were not godly whatsoever. But God used them as a vehicle of bringing uh, correction to the Israelites. And so they've been under captivity for hundreds of years. And when we begin to see this story unfold, God has now made a promise that they're going to be brought out of captivity and he's even picked a person to lead them out. You would know that person is Moses. And and so in a way, it was pretty easy for them to say, okay, God, that sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Generation after generation after generation has been in captivity and now you're going to free us? We're all into this. But it's what we see when that plan actually starts to develop that we see that, you know... God doesn't always pick the easy way. When we begin to think about the route that they took, do we have that map up there? Uh, Again, some of you love maps and geography, and other people go, you know, that's boring to me. But if you look all the way over here on the Nile Delta, that's Egypt. That's where they were in captivity for hundreds of years. And where they're eventually going to go is that place called Cana in the Promised Land. Now, anybody... (laughs) have some engineering background. The shortest distance between two points is a 
straight line. And so you would think that there would be some part of this plan that God's going to deliver them. He's going to take them from the Nile Delta there over to Canaan. And you can see that, you know, that's going to be somewhat of a short route. That red represents more than likely the traditional route of the Exodus. Now, why did God do that? Why does God not take us in the easiest path possible when, when it's his journey, it's his plan, why does God do that? Uh, look in Exodus chapter 13. Let's go back to chapter 13 just for a moment. Look in verse 17 and 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was what? Shorter. In other words, if they would have went in a straight line across there, he said, that, that's the shortest route. If you had GPS back then, they would have said, okay, here's your shortest route. And it would have been straight across. But God says, okay, he did not lead them through that. And then in verse 18, 17 and 18, it tells us why. Look what God said. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God says, you know, they're still immature. They're, they don't have a maturity. They don't have this full trust even though I'm giving them the plan, they really don't have a full assurance of this plan. And if they go this route, they're going to fight some really terrible foes, some really strong people, some mighty armies. And they're going to become weak-kneed, and they're going to turn around. Do you know that part of the reason why sometimes doesn't, God doesn't give you easy is because he wants you to mature. He's not being condescending. He's not being, he's being loving. I mean, one of the most loving things you can do to your children is to give them age-appropriate things. You, you don't take, you know, your, your child there and say, okay, here's the responsibility. Next week we need to be bringing in about $300. Go get yourself a job. No, age-appropriate. You don't sit down with Q and say, okay, Q, this is kind of what, you know, we expect out of you now, and it's something you would expect out of a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old. Part of the love is that you understand where your children are and you do something that's appropriate at that age, not under. You don't baby them to death, even though that's a tendency that at least Carly has, you know, a little bit. You know, just, you know, I'm, I'm going, okay, you're 14 now. It's time to grow up and get out. And, she, you know, she would love if the kids were there to 44 instead of 14. And, and so, you know, we, we have different styles, moms and dads. At the same time, there is that inner desire, I believe, in all good parents that know where their children are and give them age-appropriate things for maturity. Don't put too much on them too early. At the same time, do not save them from things that are harder just to make it easy. Both can have tragedy. You can have a spoiled 40-year-old. Have you ever met one? I mean, you don't have to say their name out loud or anything, but, you know, you know some 40-year-olds, you're going, man, you know, I, I know 12-year-olds that are more mature. And you ever see other kids that are very mature, but part of parenting is, is that wisdom from God to say, okay, what is age appropriate? Well, God is doing that. As a father to us, he's going, okay, I could take you on the easy route. It's the shortest route. You'd get there several days, if not weeks earlier, but here's the problem with that. You're not ready to face that foe. And so he takes them on a different route. Verse 18, so God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Bible makes it very clear three things are happening in that. I, I want you to remember these three things uh, as, as you're on your journey because there's going to be times that that really is our life. We're not going to Cana. We're, we're going to some other place. But, but understand this. Number one, it says God was leading them out of captivity. He did have a plan to bring them freedom. 
The second thing that we see just in those two verses, that there was a definite purpose in the way that he was leading. God never does something by mistake. You never slip up on God. You never come up on God and go, God, just are you aware of what I'm going through down here? It never has to be something that we pose. Now, we've prayed that before. We've certainly thought that before. But we never have to go to God and say, God, do you just really know what's going on down here? Let me fill you in. Have you ever noticed that some of our prayers make an attempt to fill God in with the info that we think we have? God, I'm, I'm on ground zero here. I have intel that you need to know so that you can be working out these details. He's Almighty God. He knows everything. And he has an intimate plan, personal plan, just for your life, an individual plan for every one of our lives. And so we see that going on, and we also see that it was not the easiest or the shortest way. And that's where the dilemma begins. They trust God, I believe, for the destination. We're getting out of captivity. We're going to our own promised land. The problem is the journey. And that's where you and I would struggle a lot. Again, I don't know that there would be too many here today that truly have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to say, okay, I believe that I really am going to go to heaven when I die. I believe that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I trust God for that. But what about the journey? Do you trust God with the journey? And could you say that you actually have joy in the journey? Do you just bear up with it or do you have joy? And that's the dilemma that we face. Do we trust God? bring us out of captivity, but also the way that he desires to do it. And isn't that really the heart of the Christmas story? I mean, Christ comes to bring us out of captivity. But had we not been brought up with Luke chapter 2, had we not been brought up, some of us, with that biblical story, is that the story that you would have come up with? Okay, I've got a clue. You're God, you're mighty, holy God, but let me clothe myself in flesh and become vulnerable as a little baby. Out of all the ridiculous things that you could come up with, that really does seem like the most ridiculous, simply from a pragmatic view. I mean, if you want to make a big impression, come down from the heavenlies, from from the skies, lightning bolts in your hand, throwing them left and right, and make a grand entrance. And yet we see that the Christmas story, God's way, is almost just exactly the opposite of that. I've always thought it was funny that, uh, that we point out that Jesus is the reason of the season. But then we struggle when we get into seasons of our life. Have you ever been in a season of your life and you failed to see that Jesus was really the reason for the season in your life? Not just kind of a cute little Christmas you know, bumper sticker, but, but that in a season, you know, because there are seasons in our lives where we go through marriage difficulties, we go through parenting difficulties, we go through job Difficulties we go through, just personal struggles and doubt and all kinds of different things that happen. And in those seasons of our life, do we really have that full assurance? Do we really, with all of our heart, say, okay, Jesus, you're in the midst of all this. Look, he's much more than just a cute little bumper sticker. The Christmas story is really God saying that, look, I am there with you. I made myself vulnerable so that I can identify with you and that I can be with you every single day. And I do have a plan. And yet your human nature and my human nature, I, I promise you, is that we're like water. What, how does water travel? The path of least resistance. Water does phenomenal things. Uh, the last week we saw that water can do phenomenal things. You know, with all the rain, 
but it will always take the path of least resistance. It's one of those laws of physics of nature that, that water, even though it does incredible things, it's always going to find that path of least resistance. And there's a part of our, your humanity and my humanity that even in Christ, that we still have that human nature, that we want that path of least resistance. We still want that easy button. Okay, God, can you just make this easier? So let me share with you three things that we see in this story this morning related to the Christmas story that can allow us to have joy in the journey. Not just that we get to the destination, but that we actually have joy in the journey. Exodus chapter 13, look at verse 21 and 22. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What is God telling us here? Hey, in the journey, you can anticipate my leadership. You can anticipate, anticipate my presence. I mean, that really would have been kind of cool. Back in the Old Testament, we, see, we don't see a lot of physical manifestations of, of, of God except for in things like this. In coming of Christ, we do see that he clothed himself in flesh. But in the Old Testament, we see him showing up like this, where there's this pillar of fire. There's this cloud. And so if, if we were outside right now and we were being led on this destination and we we're in the midst of this journey, we would look up and there's the cloud and it was the presence of God. It was always in front of them. It was always leading the way. By night, when you really can't see the clouds that much at night, became a pillar of fire lit up the skies. So that they always knew that God was right there. He was always in front of them. He was always leading the way. So we begin to see that first thing. The second thing that we begin to see in this passage is that when we see, when, when God begins to lead us and we follow in this journey that he has for us, that even though it may not be the easiest way, it's sometimes in that hard way, it's sometimes in that difficult way that we see the real majesty of God. Look what happens here. They barely left this place of, of captivity and already they're starting to raise their hand and we estimate that there's probably at least 3 million Jewish people, you know, the Israelites. Probably 200, uh, I mean, 2 million to 3 million people at least, if not more. And, and so can you imagine, dads, of how many times they raised their hands and said, are we there yet? I mean, truly that, you know, you've got 3 million people back here. They're, they're, they're going, okay, we know that we're on a journey. We know that there's a destination. Are we there yet? Because they, they want to get there. They want the easiest way. And look what happens in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 and through 12. Pharaoh had uh, allowed them to leave. Because remember, the plagues came upon the people. And, and, and so Pharaoh said, okay, just, just go. Just take your people and leave. And, and then he reneges in that. And he comes back and he changes his mind. And he says, no, you know, I'm losing all this labor force. And he decides to pursue the Israelites and try to get them back. And look what happens in Exodus 14, verse 10 through 12. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Now, is there anything about that verse that just kind of strikes you? What was before them? God, pillar of fire by night, cloud in the daytime. What's behind them? 
the enemy? Where are their eyes? Yeah. <laughs> you know, here God is leading them, and God is right there, pillar of fire, he's this cloud, and it says that it you know, never left him, so that, that he's still there. And yet they go, you know, I hear something. What is this behind me? You know, they start hearing the, maybe the, the hoofbeats of the, the horses and the chariots and the different things. And they take their eyes off of God during this journey and, and they look at the foe, the enemy that is fast approaching them. Verse 11. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? For hundreds of years, that all they, that's all they can think about is, is having this freedom, of having the liberty of not being captives in Egypt, not being the, the slaves of these people. God finally delivers, and it's time for God to, to bring them out, take them to the promised land. They see the first little speed bump in the road, take their eyes off of the presence of God and put it onto the enemy that's behind. And the first thing they said is, we're going to die. But were there not enough graves in Egypt that he had to bring us out here to the desert? Is that why we're out here? We're going to die out here rather than back there? Folks, it would be so easy for us to point our fingers and say, you know, man, they just didn't have any faith whatsoever. And yet that's me, I promise you. God has given us his word. He has given us his very spirit to dwell in the life of the believer. And so he's ever present. And yet how easy it is to take our eyes off of the promises of God. Eric, like you were saying before, there's, those promises are true. And they've been made yes in Jesus Christ. And yet the enemy, I start hearing hoofbeats. And it's like, okay, God, just wait a second. Let me check out the foe that is behind me. Look what happens in verse 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It's an amazing verse there. Because <laughs> number one, I really don't think that they said that. I think that they're kind of putting words in their own mouths at this point. I'm going, okay. Because I think that they wanted out of Egypt. I think they very much wanted this freedom. They wanted the liberty to come. And yet they began to, you know, this, this you know, commitment that they've made, and they begin to doubt it. The Israelites' reaction is, is the same to us in, in many ways. You know, and, and I want you to realize this this morning. You can be exactly where you should be spiritually. Please hear this. And face opposition. Were the Israelites exactly where God had purposed them to be? Not so much their weak hearts at this point, but are they where God wants them to be? And yet they're facing opposition. See, one of the things that we kind of get in our mind, and I think it's uh, just a lie from Satan, is that somehow when opposition comes in our life, that somehow we're out of God's will. Folks, it wasn't the story of Christ. It wasn't the story of anybody that I see. We see the saints of God. You know, we see those original disciples. You know, every one of those, those original ones, save one, died a martyr's death. It just doesn't stand up biblically. It doesn't stand up that somehow that the only reason opposition comes into our lives is that somehow we're out of where God wants us to be. Please hear this. You can be exactly where God wants you to be and still face opposition. So that's the first thing that we see there. The second thing is you can be right where God wants you to to be and have doubts. It's part of the fallen nature, fallen people in a fallen world. And even though we're saved by this miraculous work of Christ, and it is sure and it is definite because all the work of Christ is finished, you and I in these feeble bodies, fallen people in a fallen world, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we still have doubts. 
I'll never forget, uh, years ago, a lady came, a great saint, more of a saint than I will ever hope to be. And, and she came and she was really disturbed because she had some doubts. And her life was nothing but pure chaos. I mean, it really was one of those where it just seemed like up was down and down was up and everything had just come, you know, apart. And, and she was surprised that she had doubts. Folks, doubt will come. The thing is, what do we do with those doubts? Do we start looking at the foe and, and have fear that's produced because of the fear that comes? Or, or do we say, no, I'm going to look back ahead because I know that that pillar, that cloud, that presence of God is there in my life, and I'm going to keep my eyes on that even as we go through this difficult, chaotic part of the journey. Exodus 4, 13 through 14. If you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this, especially if you're going through a difficult place of the journey right now. Please hear this. Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Amen? As remind, when you're in the midst of the chaos, and when you're in the midst of the storm, when you're not finding joy in the journey, you've got your eyes on the destination, but you're just not there yet. Remember these promises of God. Moses comes back and he says, Guys, I want you to know what your eyes see as you turn around to your eyes off of God and you see this enemy. I want you to know that because of what the Lord's going to do, not because of some heroic thing that you do, but because of what, you, what the Lord is going to do, this foe that you see today, you won't be seeing tomorrow. Now look at the next verse. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That makes about as much sense in one way as when those guys up in Alaska say, no, if you see a grizzly come toward you, just don't run. Be still. I'm going, I mean, I love my wife, but if we're up there, I don't have to be faster than the bear. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He can only get one of us. The true test of love. I'll pay for that later. So It was a really good Christmas up to that point, you know. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that go against every natural impulse Eight-foot bear standing in front of you. And, and yet the wisdom of people that are the naturalists and all that, they say, okay, what you do, Jeff, is this eight-foot bear comes up there with the claws and fangs and all this. Just be still. Do not run. Within everything in your fiber, everything in your being says run. Well, the same thing is true that, that we see here scripturally, spiritually. But when we see the enemy behind us and when they're approaching fast and we see that they have chariots and we don't, they have spears and we don't, they have fighting things and we don't have it, we, we turn and we've taken our eyes off of God and that leadership and, and all of a sudden we put it on the enemy and we begin to see how big the enemy is. And the last thing that makes sense, the last thing that makes sense is to be still. The thing that makes most sense is can I outrun this? Can I outthink it? Can I outplay it? And you know what God tells us here? The Lord will fight for you. You don't need to fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Look what happens. Verse 19. Let's get down to verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, 
withdrew and went behind them. Who was behind them? The enemy, Pharaoh, the army. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Hey, about 2 o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep because the, there's no joy in the journey. Exodus 14, 19 and 20. Say, God, will you just manifest that in my life? God, can you bring that truth, that reality to my life? Because there is an enemy behind me. And, and will you just, God, will you move and will you be in between? See, that's what the birth, that's what Christmas is all about. You're going, well, why is this the Christmas story? Because that's what Christ did. The enemy was there, folks. And Christ comes from heaven and he clothes himself in flesh and he goes between us and the enemy, death, sin, the grave. He said, I stand there. So neither went near each other all night long. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry ground and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Part of the, the difficulty of the journey when we don't really trust that, folks, you're going to lose the majesty of God. Brittany, I, I, I love everybody's testimony this morning, but I, but I love those that said, you know, man, I did not come to God. God came to me. So you saw the majesty of God. Not, hey, God, here I am, and I'm going to clean myself. I'm going to go do this. You saw the majesty of God. And, and that's the, the part, that, guys, that, that we need to really get when we're not having joy in the journey and it's chaotic, and it's falling apart, and everything seems to be just you know, coming uh, apart in our lives, we have to realize that this might be the very place that God's going to show his majesty. Because it's one thing to move the pillar of cloud behind you and, and kind of make a, a wedge between you and the enemy. It's another thing when he says, okay, you know, we were going to go to the other side of this lake, but, you know, this sea, and they're going, but it's a... It's a big C. He says, well, I, I'm going to work on that. And he moves one, and he moves the other side, and they cross what was a barrier to them, a barrier to the freedom. And, and he takes that Red Sea, and he divides it. And they walked across on dry ground. Not that we would ever wish for difficult lives, but I promise you, when we get to heaven, some of the greatest testimonies of faith that we will have is not during the easy times, but when we saw the majesty of God in the most difficult of times. When we didn't have a clue, we didn't have an answer, we didn't have a fix for it, and God showed his majesty, and he brought deliverance out of a hopeless situation. A third thing, and then we'll close this morning. During the journey, trust God's daily provision. I, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I love the four-year plan, the ten-year plan. Okay, God, just give me a little bit of a clue. And, and the minute that God reveals more than a, a day, a week, 
or mine. You know what I start doing? Just that human nature. I start working the plan instead of trusting God. Anybody else have that propensity in your life? <laughs> and so as hard as it is, okay, God, just, I, I want to trust you daily. I just want day by day, I want to walk with you, and I just want to trust you on a daily basis. Everything within my human nature, everything within my man nature that wants to be responsible, is okay, God, give me the four-month plan. But the minute I do, I start working the plan instead of trusting my Father. Look what happens here. Chapters 15 are, are two different uh, songs of victory as they cross over to the other side of this sea where they see the majesty of God. And, and chapter 15 is two uh, victorious songs they sing, uh, kind of like praise and worship songs that we would sing today. And so by the time we get to uh, chapter 16, now they have the dilemma. They're going, okay, we've been here and in this part of the journey. They haven't had water for three days. Look what it says. Exodus 16.3. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We've heard that before. They've just seen the majesty of God open up this sea, and they walked across on dry land. And yet the first difficulty that comes back in their life, that human tendency, Lord, why bring us the other side of this just to kill us here? There they sat around pots of meat, and, and, and this is what they were, were saying about Egypt. They said, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you had brought us out here into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Think about what they're saying. We had plenty of to eat back there, which really wasn't so much of the truth. They had built that up in their minds. They said, there we sat around pots of meat and had plenty to eat, and yet they were in captivity. Here, God has brought liberty. And yet he's not filling their belly. Probably one of the hardest things about the Christian life is there's going to be times when, when just a lot of the things of the world, you know, of your physical nature, are just not going to be, you know, it's not going to go great, guys. There's not an easy button. And we might, you know, I, I've had somebody say this to me before. Man, before I was a Christian, my life wasn't this difficult. And I, I, I identify, I mean, I, I get what they're saying. And that's why I want to come in there graciously, lovingly, humbly, and say, but there you were in captivity, and now you are free. Understand that life may have seemed easier, but, but you're in captivity there, and now in Christ, you're, you're in freedom here. Never forget that on the journey, guys. Satan won't whisper that into your ear, I promise you. That can only come from the very Spirit of God. Because Satan's going to go, man, why your life got so difficult? You know, you said you weren't raised in the church, and man, this is difficult. You've got to get up on Sunday morning and this, all this kind of stuff. And all these things can happen. No, when Christ comes in your life, that, that was a place of captivity, even though it was easy. And there was pots of meat. Spam, I think. You know, but uh, Vienna sausage. I, I don't know, but it was, you know, there were pots of meat back there. And he said, you know, here we're going to die. Now look what happens. Go down to verse 15 as we close up. If you read on, God brings meat that night to them. Not because he had to, but by his grace he brings them meat. 
And then he begins to feed them on a daily basis with this thing called manna. Look what it says in verse 15. When the Israelites saw it, that is this manna that God just brought, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Manna was this, for those that may not have a, you know, kind of a, a church background. They didn't have, I mean, here they are out in the middle of the desert. They didn't have food. There's not just places they can go grab bananas off of trees or oranges or this, that, and the other. There's no place for food. They're in the middle of the desert. And so what God does, you know, they can't carry all this food. So every morning they come out and, and just like dew is on the ground, there was this white substance. We really don't know what it tasted like, but it was very, it was all the vitamins they needed. It was very, very much could fill up their stomach. It was called manna. And God provided that every day as, they, as long as they were in that journey. But here's the thing that he said. But now when you go get that manna, take enough for how long? One day. Except for the Sabbath. Right before the Sabbath, they took two days so they didn't have to, to gather on the Sabbath. But he says, besides that, you take it for one day. And every once in a while, don't you know that just like us, they go, well, you know, I might get hungry to buy them more. And yes, it's, that man has been out there every single day for a week, but... You know, what if God forgets? And so they would take a little bit extra, and you know what would happen to that manna? It would rot. It says worms. I'm not trying to gross everybody out, but it said worms would get it. It would begin to stink, and it would fill up the tent that they were sleeping in. Well, what's the spiritual parallel here? One of the ways to have joy in the journey is the daily walk and the daily provision. As much as I would desire the four-month plan, the 10-year the plan, the, the, okay, how do I finish out my work life, retirement, this, that, and the other? There's a part of me in my humanness and my maleness and my own personality that wants every bit of that. But what I have found because of Christmas, because God clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us to become a sufficient Savior, that really one of the last things I have to worry about is my daily provision. One of the last things I have to worry about that. That doesn't cause me into laziness. It calls me into a rest. Into something that has already been promised, that has already been delivered by the finished work of Christ. So maybe today you're in the, jo- uh, you're in the journey. You, you know the destination. You have full assurance of where that destination is going to take you. And, and yet you couldn't really say, say that you have joy in the journey. Uh, look back. Look at the Christmas story. And just remember those things. Keep your eyes on the presence of God. He's right there. Remember that daily. Remember that he's already provided a separation between you and the enemy. And now he lives and dwells in us. It's a finished work of Jesus Christ. It is not, you know, improving with time. It is a finished, done work for those who are in Christ Jesus. And remember to trust God on a daily basis that every day he's going to bring his provision for that day and for that step. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we thank you that, uh, that all the Bible points to Christ. Father, we can go to Exodus. We can go to Genesis. Father, we can go back and forth all over the place. And uh, Father, it's all going to pr- point to, uh, to what you did when you clothed yourself in flesh. And so, Father, this morning I thank you for the Christmas story that is real I thank you that it has parallels throughout your word. And Father, even as we have looked at the Israelites today and just that human nature that they had, that the first difficulty, they were tempted to take their eyes off of you 
and, Father, not find rest in your promises. Father, I pray that you would teach us from, from them, that you would encourage them, us this morning through their example. And, Father, that uh, maybe above all, that this simple prayer, that we would be still and just know that you are God. Father, you said that the battle is yours. And maybe even this time of decision and reflection, Father, as we would pray and close the service this morning. Father, maybe that's the prayer that we so desperately need to pray. That the battle is yours and we can rest in you. Father, I, I pray that for people who are captive this morning to, to create our uh, hearts and minds, uh, minds and hearts that are upset, family struggles and job struggles, marriage struggles, financial struggles, all the different things that are going on in our lives. Father, I pray this morning that we would be still and know that you are God. Thank you for the promise of the destination. Thank you for the promise that you're going to be with us in the journey. Give us joy even this day as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.